Today on The Friday Habit, we talk with Brian Clayton. Brian is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 100,000 active users, completing thousands of transactions per day. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. All right. Brian, welcome to the Friday Habit. Ben, Mark, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you. Yeah. Hey, so we kind of start every show, especially when we have a guest on, with an icebreaker question. So I got one here for you. Would you uh, rather be chronically underdressed or overdressed? Mm, I like to be. <laughs> I like to be uh, under underestimated. So, so I guess I would be underdressed. <laughs> plus, plus I feel like you know I love I love the idea of like you know Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg just wearing the same thing every day. Like I have subscribed yeah. to that, so I'm probably going to fall to the underdressed side of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Mark, do you remember that one time when we went to the uh, marketing conference and we both showed up to like the black tie dinner? And <laughs> oh, we were the man. only two people wearing like we were yeah. the only two people wearing graphic tees. We were yeah. like, oh, that would totally be me. That was really awkward. It was like a nice dinner, and you and I are like yeah. in hats and graphic tees. But, like, wait a second, I didn't get a memo that this was supposed <laughs> to be fancy. <laughs> I just like that. I was like, oh, I knew, I knew you were you were good people when that happened. I was like, all right, Mark, we, we're we're on the same. We probably both just didn't read the email or something. <laughs> We're too busy running a business. I don't got time to read email <laughs> details. <laughs> That's hilarious. One of my best friends wears a suit 365, seven days a week. It doesn't wow. matter if we're going to go grab coffee. He's wearing a suit. So, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the other side of the other side of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think I would want to be overdressed because I don't think that if you showed up anywhere overdressed where someone would like harshly judge you, they might be like, wow, like looking fancy, like where are you going? Like what's going on? But, you know, if you showed up in flip-flops and cargo shorts, <laughs> I think that... <laughs> you better be super successful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's great. So that's hilarious. Well, you know, Brian, thanks so much for being on, on the show. And, you know, I you know, would love to just kind of talk a little bit about your origin story, kind of where you grew up. What got you into lawn care? I mean, because that's kind of what propelled you into the app business. Um, so I'd love to kind of just hear that story about, you know, how you got started and, um, you know, all, all that yeah. all that jazz. Yeah, it's it, it, you're, to your point, it's like you don't usually think about lawn care and landscaping as the entry point to uh, an app-driven business, but that's how it unfolded for me. I, I've been in uh, been an entrepreneur my entire life uh, for 22 years. I've never had a job. I, I was forced into entrepreneurship by my dad in the late 90s. He came into my room, interrupted me playing Super Mario Kart, and said, get off your butt. <laughs> get off your butt. You got a gig to do. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard made me go mow the neighbor's grass. And it wasn't, mm. we weren't living in a democratic household. So it was, a, it was an order <laughs> and I, I cut the neighbor's lawn and made 20 bucks and I was just hooked. Something about that. I was mm. just like, man, this is awesome. I, can, I, I literally could just work an hour and make $20 and don't have to hit up my parents for money. This is great. 
So I remember the first thing I did after that, I, I went to my old school desktop computer and started like cranking out flyers and used like clip art and, and made the best flyers I could make and, and started passing out flyers all over my, my neighborhood. And by the end of that first summer, I had a, a dozen customers and I was making like a few hundred dollars a week in the late 90s cutting grass. And, and I just stuck with that lawn mowing business all through high school, all through college, uh, graduated college with, from business school, and I had to make a choice. Was I going to you know, go into the job market and take a pay cut or stick with this lawn mowing business I had. And, and I didn't really want to be a lawn guy my whole life. That wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. But I saw business ownership and entrepreneurship as my lane to really kind mm-hmm. of make something of my life. And so I made a little business plan using what little I learned in business school and, and, uh, and just worked my butt off and built a good team around me. And over a 15-year period of time, ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live, uh, getting it over 150 mm. employees, over $10 million a year wow. in revenue, and in 2013, sold the business. Wow, okay. So when you were writing that business plan, you know, what did that look like as far, was it like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan? Because obviously you come out of college and you're like, wow, I'm making more money still doing lawn care than it when I would if I went into the workforce. So what was a, that, what was a part of that plan? You know, as far as like, at some point I want to exit or was it just like grow it to this much? What, what did that look like? Yeah, it's a great question because I remember it very clearly. I wrote it, I was doing the business plan while sitting in class one day and literally just writing it out on a, on a piece of notebook paper. And what it looked like was, was I, I, I was able to understand one thing clearly in those early days that we were basically selling man hours. I knew that, you know, whether it was just me out there on a lawnmower or me and a helper, I was basically selling man hours of labor. And it wasn't much more sophisticated than that. And so I, I, I figured out that if I could get, you know, I had one part-time helper at the, t- at the time. I figured out if I could, if I could get two helpers full-time that we should be mm-hmm. able to do uh, $1,000 a week in revenue. And then if I could figure out a way to get three of those trucks going and doing $3,000 a week, then I wouldn't have to mow yards anymore. So that was my goal. I wanted to get three, I guess you could say, crews going out there every day, and I didn't want to cut grass anymore. Cause, and, so I, and I wanted to do that in three years. And that was the, basically it. It was going from me and a part-time helper to me and nine employees and where I didn't have to mow yards anymore. That's all I really cared about. And, and, and uh, it took me three years to get there. But uh, that was the foundation to build an eight-figure business. So with that, what, you know, having that goal of like kind of like working yourself out of the business, I think that's something, you know, Ben and I talk about, like, can I go on vacation for two weeks straight and the thing not burn down or people be emailing me or blowing up my phone trying to get help? So as far as how did that work for you? I mean, this is interesting to me because I know that the lawn care space, you know, the turnover rate is probably really high. So did you have like systems and processes in place so that it was easy for you to like bring somebody on board, they could go through some sort of training or understand, you know, the, the, the quality of work? Cause I'm assuming, you know, growing as, as much as you did, you, you produced a great product, right? A service was the service you provided was high because you obviously got repeat customers and grew your customer base. So what did that look like as far as, you know, creating those systems and processes in order to grow the business and remove yourself from all the doing? Yeah. It took a long time and a lot of trial and error. You know, these days, 
in many ways, it's easier than ever because you have off-the-shelf off the software that can help you with things like onboarding new people, recruiting new people, training new people, um, uh, you know, things like from around scheduling and routing and, and customer satisfaction. Back then, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was very much pen and pad and, and Excel sheet. It wasn't, you didn't, we didn't have a lot of this automation that we have today. So um, it was very rudimentary, but, but just through trial and error over a decade, I was able to figure out a repeatable process, a routine, if you will, for, for bringing on new people and putting them through what I called, uh, the name of the company was Peachtree, and we called it Peachtree University. And so we, you know, in the early days, it, it took like three months to train somebody, and I, and I tried to get that down to three weeks. And it was basically every day they would go through a different, different set of curriculum and take a test at the end of the day that was on pen and pad, and I would grade the test. Nowadays, Nowadays, you can do all of this uh, in an automated fashion mm -hmm. uh, through, a, through a portal, and it's so much easier than it was back then, yet most entrepreneurs don't even do it. And so, so for me, I was able to build little routines and little processes around all of the headaches. And uh, to be honest, did the company ever run fully without me? No. It was organized chaos every day, despite all that. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was a it was a, right. it was a very challenging business to run. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I, after, you know, getting the business sold, I was able to build it in such a fashion, rebuild it actually from the from the inside out to where it would run without me. And that took about five years to do towards the latter end because you can't sell a business unless it unless it can run without you, the principal. And, uh, right. you know, looking backwards, if I had the book The E-Myth uh, 20 years ago, it would have helped me mm. uh, with a lot of that stuff. The E-Myth is a really good book about these types of things of working on your business and not in your business. Yeah. So when you uh, were working on that, so you said you had that business about 15 years. So were you at like year 10 and you're like, hey, I, th I think I might want to sell this business. And then you're like, okay, cool. I need to go back, kind of redo some of my processes, design it to work differently where maybe you're not a salesperson or you're not you know, responsible for certain parts of it. Is that kind of what you had to do at that point? Ideally, it would, it would unfold how you just described it. You know, like if you like, <laughs> ideally, you would have a five year plan. And and, I, sure, and you sure. would say, okay, in five years, I want to sell this company for X, Y, and Z. And, and now I'm going to work backwards from that, and I'm going to put in a rock-solid sales process. I'm going to put in a rock-solid accounting process. You know, I'm going to put in a, a, a really good customer satisfaction process. The reality is, is that is not how it unfolded for me. Um, mm -hmm. I got the notion to sell the business about year 13. And I and that really that was more derived from just my personal like psychology. I, I had reached a point of plateau in terms of my personal growth in the business, and I wasn't mm. getting that satisfaction out of it. And I thought, okay, maybe it's time to explore an exit. You know, I've heard of these sorts of acquisitions in this industry, and maybe I can get mm. that done. And and I, maybe I can get it done in six months is what I thought. You know, or three. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and boy, I mean, you know, so many times in, in, in the business journey, it's like naivete is an asset. And, and certainly that was the case there. And it took, yeah. it took two years um, to really kind of gut the business and rebuild it from the inside out and build a lot of these processes around me to make it to where mm -hmm. it was even uh, possible to get it acquired. And so ideally, yeah. you know, you, you work a five-year plan, you read the book Built to Sell. The, that's a really good book on, on these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And you work that book, you do, every, you do everything the book Built to Sell says. You, you manage mm -hmm. your expectations, know it's going to take four or five years to get it done, and then you, you execute. You know, but that's not how it unfolded for me. I had to kind of like do rush right. offense and, and, and reverse engineer <laughs> a lot of these things in. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's it's super inspiring to hear though that you're able to make that happen too. And and yeah, like Mark said, you know, sometimes it sounds like that industry, and I could be wrong, sounds like sometimes there's high turnover or sometimes it, you know, I think about contractors around here and, and like even like landscaping and stuff. Sometimes I talk to some guys I know that own landscaping businesses or hardscaping and it's it's hard to get sometimes to get people to show up on time or things like that. So um it's yeah, I'm really curious about that too. Like how what were some things you did to make you know, your business, you said it was called Peachtree, right? Yep. How did, what were some things you did to make it like a place where people wanted to work or encourage people to like show up and things like that? It's a combination of good, strong culture. Um, it's mm-hmm. a combination of creating a, a, a place that you would want to work, which I had to, I had mm-hmm. to fix that. And then it's also a combination with just flat out being competitive in the marketplace. I mean, you can't have either one. It, it, you know, if, if people hate working there, but you're paying 10 or 20% more than, than anybody else, they're still going to leave. Um, but if you have mm-hmm. like the best kumbaya culture in the world, but you're, you're, you're paying like, you know, sub market rate, people are going to leave. And so you got to have, right. you got to have both. And uh, for yep. me, you know, like the culture side of it was, was, was a self like personal, like growth period that I had to go through. It was, it was one day I was driving to the shop and, and I didn't want to go there. And I had like this pit in my stomach that I'll, I didn't want to like show up at the job site. I didn't want to be there mm-hmm. because there was a lot of people that worked for me that I just didn't like. Um, there was <laughs> just a bad vibe there. Um, and it was just a, not a pleasurable, fun place to be. And I thought, well, you know, you created this. So it's just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is your yeah, fault. exactly. I literally had to say that to myself. And it's like, I came to the realization that was like, you know, you get exactly the company culture you deserve as the business mm-hmm. owner, the business founder. And so I had to go through like a, a personal growth period where I realized that it was just going to reflect my vibe. It was going to reflect my attitude, my, my psychology, my enthusiasm. And so it took me mm-hmm. a year or so. I had, to, I had to learn from people smarter than me in terms of leadership and culture. I picked up every book I could get uh, in terms of culture and implemented those things into my business and, create, and made a fun place to work. Um, in conjunction with looking at, like, how do we – really just create a, an organized, well-run machine that's profitable so that I can share those profits with my people and make it so that if they, that if they give that 110%, that they can make 110%. If they give that discretionary hmm. effort, that they can make a premium in the marketplace. And that attracts the right people, and it attracts quality people. Whereas if you're just looking to pay 15 bucks an hour and you hope that, that excellence happens, you know, that's, 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 that's not a strategy. And, uh, right. you know, you really do have to McDonald, uh, McDonaldize your business. And, and uh, you know, you read the book, The Founder. Um, oh, no, it's called, it's called the, book, the movie's The Founder, but the book is called Grinding It Out, which is the Ray Kroc story. And, oh, and yeah. the, one of the key, key learnings in that book is that you cannot create a business that, that relies on excellent people um, because excellence is rare. Um, hmm. it, you have to create a business that delivers consistent, excellent results from mediocre people. And uh, it, as, as crass as that sounds, it's the, it's the world we live in. And so yeah. um, you, you have to really look at how you create the, the, the right incentives to where people can share in, in the proceeds when they give 110% so they can make 110%. You can't just hope to pay them market rate and that, that, that magic will happen. Right. What, as far as that goes, did you have to sacrifice um, a lot of um, like profit and and whatnot in order to make that happen earlier on? Did did you say, all right, I'm going to 
not take as much at the end of the year from the business in order so that I can pay these better rates to get better people? Like, did you make those kind of sacrifices early on? Yeah, I, there was many years where I didn't make I didn't make a dime. And there was many years that particularly like sales staff made more money than me as the owner. And so those are tough. And you can't just sit there and say, well, this is what's required to build a great business. You have to really like take it down to the core to the unit economics level and say, well, how did we get here? How can we not make money and make a good return and pay everybody fairly? Um, and why, why, is this, why has this happened? Um, yeah, this is a short-term, mm-hmm. like, difficult thing as the founder you're going through to, like, get on the other side of, uh, you know, cross the bridge. But, but that's not a strategy, you know. And, but it is something that is required mm-hmm. at, at times. So really getting down to the unit economics and understanding I can serve this customer at this pricing point with these incentives, keep the best people, price it as such, and that's who I'm going after. I'm not going after any of this other work that I can't make all of those unit economics jive. Mm. And having that discipline to work through that process, and particularly in a service-based business, not just taking anything that comes through the door that doesn't fit that process. And that's what gets right. a lot of service-based businesses uh, in trouble is that they, they, don't, they don't take on that, 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 that type of right clientele and they try to be all things all people and it gets them in trouble and and that's that's when the next thing you know you can't pay yourself as a founder you have to work that process you have to know at the unit economic level that i have this person working this man hours i can charge x y and z and it all works out downstream from there and it might take you years to figure that out but but most people don't and then they hate their business and they close up shop Mm -hmm. yeah you know i heard you say something about sales staff and so when you first started, obviously, you were the sales staff and you were the guy out there mo- pushing the mower, right, and bagging the grass. At what point did you get to a place where you're like, all right, I need to hire someone who can start making phone calls? Or, or what did that look like as far as the sales staff part of your business as it grew? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging part of, of any service-based business is, is you're working – you're doing three things at once. You're working in the business – so in my case, you know, mowing the yards, um, you're working on the business. Maybe it's the, running the sales process, cold calling 100 people a day. And then you're working on yourself. You're reading books about sales strategy and you're reading books about pricing power and you're reading books about brand and culture and leadership and, and listening to podcasts, you know, like this one or watching stuff on YouTube University. So you're working in the business, on the business, which are that's e-myth stuff. And then the third thing is, which is something that has, has kind of like been my experience is you're working on yourself and you have to do all three of those at the same time. And so in the early days, it might be 90% of your time is working in the business um, but it can't be 100. You have to set out time, 5% maybe working on the business and 5% working on yourself. And then as time goes on, you're, you're rebalancing that, that allocation to maybe half, half in the business, half, uh, 25% on yourself, 25% on the business. And, and maybe, maybe it's a Sunday thing. Maybe Sunday you come in and you work, you work on the business. You develop the, the sales process better. You develop the employee recruiting process. You develop uh, the, 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 the customer retention strategy. So like you're, you're, you're taking time to work on and, uh, the business and on yourself. For me, like, I mean, how it literally looked was was uh, in the early days of building my landscaping company, I would, I had, I had like two helpers and they were in the truck with me and, and I would get them started on a job and I would literally watch them work while I was doing uh, cold calls. Or I would literally like leave them working somewhere and then I'd go on a sales call. 
And uh, I did that for years, uh, nights and weekends. You know, I, I would crank out emails. You know, um, uh, you know, I would mail out unsolicited proposals. Like I would literally go to a uh, an apartment complex and, and take a million pictures of things that needed to be improved, and uh, mm. and package all that up and mail it to the owner along with a price to 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 fix all of the stuff. And and that was a way that I was able to land those types of six figure contracts. And I did that on Sundays. And so. You're doing all these things. My point is, is like you're doing all these things at once in the early days. You have to. And then as time goes on, you can kind of understand how to delegate certain pieces of this stuff to, to contractors and, and employees. And that's what the E-Myth is about. It's about creating that kind of org chart of uh, founder, you know, lead technician, uh, head of, chief of customer service, uh, head of culture, uh, chief of HR, like all of these different roles, and it's literally your name on every single one of them. And then as time goes <laughs> on, you peel your name off and you assign it to maybe a, a contractor or an agency or an employee. And so it's like you have to like work this fluid kind of balance uh, to go from like zero to one. And, and that's, that's how it was for me in both businesses, both my landscaping company and, and my current company, GreenPal. It's like that's how it's unfolded for me. Hmm. Just out of curiosity, I, I, it was interesting just hearing some of your sales, like cold calling tactics. And I love the idea of the being proactive and creating proposals for people just seeing like, hey, I can make this better. Here's a proposal. Which Ben has done. He's, I, I made some, he's gotten lots of free pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny story. One time, a pizza, a little pizza restaurant in town, it was across near Thanksgiving time, and we just, a website project fell through. And I was like, hey, well, we don't have a project to do today. Why don't we just build a website for the pizza place across the street? We did it and sent it to an email, like, hey, do you want this this website? We built it for you. And they're like, cool, what do we owe you? Uh, and I was like, I mean, if you just want to pay us in pizza, we'll take $1,000 of pizza. So we had a $1,000 gift card of pizza, and we could have wasted that day. And then we actually got a lot more website projects because it was, it turns out it was a um, like a restaurant owner that had multiple locations of different types of restaurants. And so we built oh, probably three awesome. or four more websites for that company just because we reached out and were like, hey, we built you this thing. Do you want it? Yeah, and, and I call, I love that. And I call that manufacturing manufacturing momentum. And, and hmm. in business, if you, if you don't have the momentum, it's really hard. And I used to, I had a business partner in my first business. He was a kind of old school country guy. And uh, one of his main things was if, if we can't, if we don't have work, we can't get work. And so it's like, mm -hmm. never get to a point where we don't have work, never get to the point where we yeah. don't have jobs on the board. Because yeah. once you lose that momentum, it's really hard to kickstart the flywheel again. And, uh, yeah. and so, and so you do stuff like that. You make a website for the pizza shop and you manufacture the momentum. And if you're willing to do that long enough, that that's how you can get through the first three or four years. And then you have a sales machine that makes mm -hmm. sure that you never get to that point again. How did the, um, and, and you know, I, I know I want to get to green pal, but you know, I feel like there's so much wealth of knowledge <laughs> in how you started, you know, your original business and all the things that you went through. Um, especially being a service-based business as most, you know, designers and creatives, it's like a service-based, like we take a photo and, you know, deliver it for a price. What about equity? I mean, in, in the sense of, uh, you know, I know in the lawn care space, I mean, a mower is going to cost 10, 15,000 bucks. Like there's a lot of cost, you know, how did that look for you as far as like, does when you were growing, you know, how did you buy your next truck and, and another round of equipment? I mean, did you finance all that stuff or did you have cash? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because a lot of these types of service-based businesses, they're, they're very asset heavy. 
And it could be a restaurant where you need a $100,000 pizza oven, or it could be a construction company and you need a $250,000 backhoe or something like that. And the reality is, is it's really, 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 really hard. And, you know, my, my way is not the silver bullet, um, but the way I did it uh, was a 100% debt-free. I did not take out any loans to buy anything for the, for the 15 years I built that business. And it was one, re- one way I was able to get it sold because uh, a lot of my competitors, you know, they might have had an $8 million landscaping company, but they had, you know, $6 million in equipment loans. Debt. Debt. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a yeah. uh, half million dollar in credit line because they, they couldn't make payroll one quarter or something. And next thing you know, they don't have any, you know, it, not only do they not have a business to sell, but they, uh, they've really got a chain around their neck because they have to mm. grind this business out to service all this debt. And that is really easy to, 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 to see happen. And it's particularly in a business that requires a lot of assets, it's, it's, it's really, really, really simple to fall into that trap. So, and, and for me, like when I was mowing yards in the early days, uh, I would have this headset on my head and I would cut grass while listening to, to talk radio all day. Sandwiched between two shows that I liked was Dave Ramsey. And uh, I hated Dave Ramsey. I thought he was a he was just like a like a hick, uh, old school, yeah. you know, just kind of almost condescending, right. arrogant kind of guy. And so, so, but being like hooked onto the Dave Ramsey Kool Aid for like three years straight, um, beat into my head to fear really overextending myself personally and in my business mm. on on debt. And yeah. so, I give him a credit to really, you know baking philosophies into my into my kind of strategy in terms of how I conduct, manage my finances, both from a business side and, and a personal side, to, to, to not use debt and to buy a used piece of equipment, work with that as long as I could till I could save up and afford the, 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 uh, the new stuff, is how I built that company. And at, you know, at the end of the day, we had like 90 trucks going out every day, and every one of them was paid for. And That's granted, awesome. we couldn't always buy the brand new, latest, nicest stuff. Our competitors had that. But when it came time to sell the business, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I think it paid off, and I yeah. think like, you know, it was one of the largest acquisitions in the industry for a long time, and I think it's one of the only companies in the state of Tennessee to ever be acquired at that scale, and it could be mm. because of the weird way that I chose to build it, which was to build it debt free, and because the reality is, is that yeah. a lot of these guys, again, they have more out there in terms of equipment loans than they do in in equity on the company. Yeah. What about what the other thing I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit in this, you know, arena is is pricing. Um because I feel like uh that's probably an area where you know, with lawn care, right? It's like you get the kid down the street to do it for 20 bucks um or 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Uh, you know, how did you increase your prices as time went on in order for you to afford, you know, those things without it being um you know, something that, that people just passed on because, you know, you're too expensive. Yeah. As, as we grew and scaled that company, you know, we quickly got out of the residential stuff and, Mm -hmm. uh, and got into the commercial stuff. And you might say, well, that's a no brainer. Why didn't everybody do that? And the reality is it's a lot harder to compete on the commercial contracts, but if you ever want to scale it to multi-millions, it's kind of where you have to be. It's really hard to scale Mm -hmm. To an eight-figure company on on thirty-three dollar lawn mowings, maybe somebody's done yeah. it, but I, I don't know of any examples. Not likely. Now, <laughs> now uh, that aside, my current business, Green Pal, uh, which mm-hmm. is the Uber of lawn mowing, 
that's all it does is it makes ordering right. that $33 lawn mowing really simple. You get hooked up with a small contractor, and, and everybody's happy. And a small contractor is making really good material income doing those small stops. Uh-huh. But a commercial landscaping company like I had, that is not the type of business it is. Uh, it, it, you're really selling like six-figure contracts. Uh, in some cases, seven-figure seven contracts. It's a very, very different business. They're almost not even the same. And so we, I had to like, yeah, I had to like evolve the company from a residential-based business to a commercial one. And that's that, that. And how did you do? And how did you do that? I mean, what what was even like? Did you hit a a deal where man, you're spending 15 hours mowing lawns, making as much money as you possibly can, and it was just like, man, this is just not enough money. Yeah. And like, what inspired you to? kind of make that leap or or how did you even think to kind of make that leap yeah to that point it's really 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 challenging because if you don't do commercial work nobody wants to give you commercial work and if you mm. don't if you don't have a track record in 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 big contracts nobody wants to work with you and so how do you like cross that chasm and for me i i purposely worked for successful residential clientele who mm. were executives and owned businesses. And, mm. and I knew, I was able to identify, okay, this guy uh, is, is a uh, RGM, a regional, a, a regional president for this bank. And I, and, mm. and I knew that I would do everything I could do to make him happy and, and just once or twice a year ask him to give me an introduction and a personal recommendation to the facilities manager at the bank. Uh-huh. And that so that and and that and I would do that over and over again and, and one way I was able to break the ice was I I uh I, I I started working for a homeowner who owned one McDonald's franchise uh that was an hour away and like he was an absentee owner like he, he was a millionaire and he just owned this one franchise that was an hour away and and I uh begged him to let me cut the grass there and he's you know always blew me off and so I went out there. I drove an hour to this restaurant, and and I uh, I took pictures of the whole thing. And one thing I did was I took pictures of the drive-through, and there was like cigarette butts all over the drive-through. And I and I told him, I said, Hey, listen, you know, this is the first thing your customer sees when when they are trying to order food. Maybe if it was a little cleaner, they might supersize the meal and get an apple pie. And uh, when we <laughs> go mow every day, we will go pick up the cigarette butts. And he goes, You know what? That makes wow. sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you guys do do the contract. Well, if you'll do it, do the cigarette butt for free. And I said, okay. <laughs> so sure enough, I, I would drive out there an hour, lose money on this 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 contract, <laughs> and I would personally pick up the cigarette butts in the drive through um, every time. And we did that for two years. And uh, and and then I saw, and then I and I was always hitting them up like, hey, will you introduce me to some say, any other franchise owners? And uh, he said, well, what you can do is you can come and present in front of our regional meeting and, and just give them your pitch. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do that. And so he did. He went to bat mm-hmm. for me, and, uh, and I put together a custom presentation and, and with pictures and, and PowerPoint about how we do things a little differently than, than other options out there and, and how we will clean the drive through out for free every time. And we got, we got like, uh, I think it was like a, we got maybe, maybe 13 or 14 locations um, wow. with that one pitch. So cool. And then over a five-year period of time, I was able to do every single McDonald's within a 90-mile radius of Nashville, Tennessee. It ended up being like a, like a half-million-dollar-a-year contract. Um, so wow. so that so was cool. one way I was able to cross the chasm of lawn guy to 
commercial landscape company and and just kind mm-hmm. of thinking outside of the box looking at what your customers needs are and mapping your solution to that and doing things a little differently and doing things quite frankly that your competitors are unwilling to do is how you can, you yeah. can hustle people in the marketplace and that's I love that so much because you just noticed a little problem that was not even quite related to lawn care, and right. you're like, you know what? That's kind of a pain point that no, there's no one else's job to do that. Yep. You know, and what if we just did it for them? Yep. And it's like so simple, but it's like that is huge. You know, as a business owner, you're like, hey, they actually care about. It even shows that you're thinking about what their customers' experience is too. Yep. So starting with that, that, yeah, you're thinking a lot really more. like yeah. really looking at like what are their wants, needs, what what mm-hmm. irritates them, and solving that problem. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's in web design, home remodeling, pressure washing, or you own a hair salon. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. why does the guy go to the hair salon? Because he wants to have a nice haircut for his date Friday night. Like, how do you solve that problem? Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, like, start there, work your way back. Exactly. Yeah, know what, what is the job they're really trying to do in the end? Yep. Why are they really hiring yep. you? Yeah, that's good. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Friday Habit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday.